Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. This is our Giro d'Italia rest day recap, the first rest day brought to you by Lacole. As you know, our Giro show is made possible by our partner Lacole, who produced performance cycling apparel. And we got a discount code now. All caps LR Giro 15. You know why it's the number 15? Not one, not five, not seven. 15% off at www.lecol.cc, L-E-C-O-L.cc. Put that in at the checkout. Get yourself a little discount at Lecol. Cheers for them for sorting that out. And as well, for your ears, sorting out an interview for me today or for us today with Pello Bilbao, currently sitting third on GC, riding for Bahrain McLaren. Obviously, Lecol provide the kit uh, and clothing for Bahrain McLaren World Tour. They sorted an interview with Pello on this rest day and he maybe he saw that Camner got interviewed Tour de France rest day and uh, thought there was a stage win then incoming, just like with Camner for the next Euro week. So that's the order of this show, interview with Bill Bale and then me and Benji are going to do, uh, I'm going to bring him out of work and we're going to analyse what's happened in the first week and maybe talk and talk about what we think will happen in this second week of the Giro. But here's the interview that I recorded earlier today with Pella Bilbao. Thanks, Pella, for joining the Lantern Rouge Socking podcast. Uh, stage nine just finished in the Giro d'Italia. We're on the first rest day of the Giro. First question I want to ask you is, you come out of the Tour de France, you had a really solid third week working for Landa and in breakaways. Was the intention for you to go into this Giro for stage wins or for general classification right and were you expecting to be sitting here on third on gc just 39 seconds back yeah i really didn't come here with a clear plan no i just came to improvise to see how the feelings were it's like experiment for me no it's something that i never tried and maybe i tried to do a one-week race like a dauphine or switzerland after uh, the giro and i had quite good feelings good results, but uh, it's completely different to, uh, to go for a such big uh, objectives as a, as a year, you know. Uh, so I came here without pressure. I spoken with the team to come and with the planning, like a day by day thinking, not, uh, and not thinking or not putting too much pressure and going uh, easy. And the first week, it's been really positive. No, uh, I recovered quite well from the tour. Obviously, I'm tired, but uh, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling quite well. And especially these last two days, that maybe I had the uh, I was more afraid about how the feelings were going to be. And in the end, I could arrive to the first uh, first day in good condition, in the third position also, and for our for our team is, uh, I think, a great goal no, for the moment. Yeah, I agree. And it, it looks like to me it's been such a weird season with coronavirus affecting training, races, scheduling, etc. You look at how even like Roglic and Pogaccia, they've gone to Liège and Flesh and Worlds. It seems like the riders that did ride the Tour de France in the last and then have kept racing in the last two weeks, even Wafanat, at, in Hanvevelchem, everyone looks like they got really good legs. So it doesn't really seem like the tour has made riders too tired. Um, but I guess this Euro first week, how does this Euro first week, how is it compared 
maybe the level or the watts wise compared to say third week of the tour because it's such a different race in the tour you've got Yumbo Visma just control 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 until actually Byron McLaren you guys were the only team that really tried to do something different with Caruso and yourself Orlando on that stage Giro is it completely the opposite um like a lack of control or a Trek kind of and Sunweb kind of doing that no, it's a completely different race. No, nothing to do with the tour. Uh, here we don't have super teams that can control the race. Also, for now, I think nobody wants to take that responsibility of controlling the race. Just uh, Almeida no, has this responsibility and also for them it's important to keep the jersey. So they are always trying to control the race. But when... When Almeida is not there, we will see what happens now, who is going to control and which team has the real power to, to make the difference. No? Because in the Tour, uh, once uh, Van Aert makes his pull, uh, just 10 riders, 10, 15 riders were there ready to attack between leaders. No? And now this is not happening, at least until now no maybe in the second and in the third week we will find more opportunities uh, to attack but until now it's been dif difficult to try a good moment to attack between leaders so that's the reason why we are almost everybody in one minute one minute and a half yeah it's crazy to see yeah riders like even hamilton is like 15th or something he's only like two minutes back compared to the tour so it's I think it's made for more exciting racing. Like that Etna stage was chaos. It was good for the viewers, the Etna stage. Everyone everyone attacking from far out, no one really controlling, etc. Have you? Do you think Trek have, on the descents, they seem to be coming to the front and trying to, are they forcing it on the descents or are they just keeping Nibali safe or are they actually trying to put pressure on, on some of those descents? We have seen it, but then they don't really keep it going afterwards like do you know what are they actually trying to do there because it's tough to see that from a the, the audience perspective yeah it's quite curious no the, the their intention in the in the descent uh, i can understand in two different ways one it's safety to go first is always safer no nibali goes down always with, with big confidence so he he puts two or three guys there pulling and they do the descent in their own rhythm like they, they want to do, no? And the second part is if something happens, if somebody make a gap, if somebody crashes, they are there. So nobody can tell them, oh, you start pulling when the problem came. No, they can say, yeah, we were already pulling. So after the gap uh, was done and we continue pulling, no? So if this moment arrives, they can they can uh, also uh, make some differences from the descents, no, not just in the in the climbs. And until now, uh, the climbs, just real climb, we can say that uh, it's been Etna. No, the rest of the climbs were five, six, seven percent climbs, uh, dif difficult to to make differences. So maybe they were trying another way to break the race, but. It didn't really work until now, at least. Yeah, and I, I get what you mean about Etna being the main climb. And I think this next week, it's really the Piancavallo stage 15 is going to be 
the Etna of this next second week before the second rest day where there's going to be differences. I mean, I was looking at some of the power data of Masnada yesterday. I think he was 12 seconds behind Fulsang uh, at mm-hmm. the end and he was at the GC group. And it's like on Lanciano, like 4.2 watts per kilo, 4.4. So the draft is, the effect of the draft is so much on these 5% climbs. And that's why I guess like Ghana was able to, I mean, that Ghana stage win was kind of crazy, but still it is different to this Piancavallo stage we're going to see in this second week. And how, how do you see this second week playing out? Are you, you don't have to tell me your strategy if you don't want to, but is your strategy to follow wheels and try and gain time on the TT because you're probably one of the better time trials out of the GC contenders? Um, is that sort of the way you're looking at this second week? Yeah, more or less. No, I have to survive until the weekend, and I think the the real differences can come, especially in the chrono. That we've seen that the, in the Grand Tours is it's uh, the speciality where most uh, differences are done. No, also in the tour between the the big guys of the overall. Uh, really small differences every stage and in the chrono we arrived and uh, just one rider was able to make a bigger gap than uh, one minute just in in 33 case no? so uh, that's impressive nowadays you have to be uh, really uh, paying uh, special attention to the TTs and I think also in this year it's going to be really important uh, so <laughs> I think most of the of the GC guys uh, are waiting for the weekend. Uh, we have also uh, the stage in Cesenatico, 200k. Uh, but uh, I think it could be a similar stage like uh, we've seen yesterday. No, not really big differences between the the GC guys. Yeah, and the the problem with that stage is. Last climb's not very difficult, like 5Ks, 4% average gradient, and it's mm. like 30Ks from the finish. So can't really see. It just seems like every team is happy to be like breakaway go, gain 10, 12 minutes, and if it's a quick step eventually say, okay, well, we'll, we'll keep the Maglio Rosa, but otherwise we won't really pace too hard at all. Um, so mm. I don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe if I was full saying, and I was looking at that third week and maybe it looks like Stelvio is going to happen. The weather forecast looks pretty good for Stelvio. If I was full saying, I'd probably be trying to be aggressive on some of these stages that it looks like the Chesanatico stage is kind of like a Paranese stage maybe and try and gain some time on Nibali there. But, yeah, do you think that will happen or do you think these stages 10 and that Chesanatico stage just a little bit too easy for any GC differences? Yeah, I think it's... Too easy, especially if you uh, if you check a bit the teams. No, you need a really really strong team to push hard and make hard a, a stage of these uh, characteristics. And I think now in the Giro we don't have such a strong team to make a difference in these uh, kind of stages. So probably most of the riders are going to wait uh, just to the TT. And after the TT effort uh, in Piancavallo, so the steep climb, uh, that can make a real difference. And how much have you been focusing on your TT personally? I know you won national champs ITT this year. Was it 
how big of a focus was it for you? Did you take the like corona lockdown and focus on your TT or no more no more than normal for you this year? No, not uh, this year we we worked quite hard in the beginning, especially the beginning of the season. No, after we start with the races, we are not so focused on going to the track or making tests or uh, so before we started the season, I was in the wind tunnel. We worked in the small details and after just uh, make uh, a couple of trainings per week and some quality work also with the TT bike, but nothing, nothing special, no. Uh, it's true that the last three years I, I've been really focused in, in the TTs. And uh, for me, it was uh, really interesting you now and a big motivation to see how uh, how it's easy to improve. It's easy, I mean, that if you work on that, if you uh, check attention, if you put the attention in the small details, uh, there's a really big difference now. And yeah, as I told you, you now it's really important to work on this and. Uh, if you want to be uh, fighting for for uh, GCs, it's uh, it's really important. You have to be there. And that's what we saw with Lopez. Say he was probably the, one of the strongest, like pure climbers in the Tour One Col de la Lowe stage. But even if you're mm-hmm. like if you're two percent better climber than somebody, three percent better climber, there's still the draft benefit. We saw that in the first week of the Giro. But if you're three percent better than someone, or one percent better in the TT you get all of that extra benefit in the time. Whereas in the climb, you probably won't even make, they'll probably stay on your wheels. So yeah, we saw, I guess, Lopez and you can lose a podium spot. And that's why I guess you're in a pretty good position going into this second week, because not only are you already in third behind, I guess, actually, do you consider Almeida a genuine GC threat at this point? given that he did pretty well in the TT? Or is everyone more focused on, say, Nibali, Fulsang, Kelderman, who are like the pre, pre-race favourites? Yeah, it's difficult to consider Almeida uh, as a favourite for the, for the final podium, no? But uh, it can happen also. We don't know where he can arrive because he's really young and he doesn't have a previous experience, no? But... Uh, young guys now are quite surprising and they are uh, achieving a really good level. So I think we, we need to pay attention also with him. For sure, this week also can hold the, the Malia until Piancavallo. And then maybe in the third week, if we can do all the mountain stages, uh, maybe it's going to be too long for him. But... Uh, for sure, he can finish the Giro in the top 10. And not why, uh, also, it's the possibility with a really good performance in Chrono to, to be near the podium. No, why not? But uh, for sure, also, he personally doesn't know where he can uh, arrive. So, just I think just uh, he thinks like uh, day by day and uh, keeping the Malia as far as uh, possible. For you personally, for Bahrain, we've got this third week where the parkour is kind of one day. I think Agnello is already being moved and maybe they're doing uh, finish in Sestriera. 
they've got Stelvio, could, there could be snow, etc. Is it going to suit you more to have those really big monster mountain stages to altitude or would it be better for you to have, say, Mortarolo put in there instead um, for your chances on GC? I don't especially like uh, climbs that arrive uh, up from 2,000 meters. Uh, are not my, my speciality, <laughs> no. But uh, it's true that I like as harder uh, the stage is, it's better for me, you know, uh, longer stages uh, with four or five uh, mountain climbs. For me, it's uh, better than just uh, one climb in the end because I'm really aerobic and especially now coming from the tour, maybe there are riders that are more fresh than me. So I need to, to be in the same condition. Uh, uh, I need that the stage goes uh, really hard. So uh, in, that, in that case, it's, uh, it would be better for me. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think Nibali is kind of the same as well. I don't see Nibali. He hasn't really done high, high watts per kilo for, say, 20 minutes uh, in the finale, like even Froome or Thomas has recently. But, yeah, he's just got that endurance. And also the, the, the calories. Like if Stelvio is cold, the calories required could be, could be crazy. Like how would you prepare for Stelvio if it's like minus three degrees at the top and with the descent? Yeah, what, can you, what can you do on the descent? Obviously, you can have a little cold. As much kit on as possible. But what else can you do and can you eat enough when it's freezing like that? Would you ever train in conditions like that? No, you never train in that conditions. No, you just find them in the race and you need to adapt. No, it's really important to have a high energetic uh, food, easy to eat, uh, that you can just maybe take a gel or uh, also liquid uh, um, drinks. No? that we have a lot of calories there. So you can keep also uh, uh, eating during the, the climb because in uh, almost one hour and a half or two hour climb, uh, it's impossible to eat uh, something solid, no? So you need to keep eating something or drinking, drinking continuously. And then it would, would be important also maybe to, if you need to lose 30 seconds or 40 in the top to put all the clothing, uh, it's important also because uh, such a long descent, you can get freezed and uh, uh, it can happen something like yesterday, you know, that we arrived there in the, in the last climb and just four k to go was a two kilometer descent and you get completely freezed there. We arrived to the last sprint and the, the legs were not moving. No, it just was impossible to to make a, a good power uh, sprint. Uh, everybody was doing his best, but uh, it was like the bike was not moving on the on the road. Uh, we were stuck there, and yeah, when when you are riding in these temperatures, the body reacts really different and. Uh, it's also a dangerous situation no? when you arrive down and uh, you can be completely empty in these, these extreme conditions. Yeah, I was watching, I was making, preparing a video on 1988 Giro d'Italia, the Paso Gavia stage with Andy Hampton. I'm not sure if you've seen that, where they did the Gavia and it was like snowing on them. And 
I think like half the field didn't finish. I hope the Stelvio isn't like that and probably extreme weather protocol these days would mean that the stage would get get cancelled. But, yeah, that was that was an insane stage. And yesterday, yeah, as you said, I saw Guerrero, he finished and immediately he's like trying to put on as many jumpers as possible uh, after the stage finished. But just quickly, I know you've got to go. You're a busy man. What after the Giro, is that season done for you? Just the Giro and uh, it's enough, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, because also preparing for the tour, it's been so hard uh, with the training camps, uh, with the recon camps in the Alps. Uh, we are already three weeks or three, three months out from home, no? And it's been quite hard to make the decision to come to the Giro. So when, when I finish the Giro, I will go home and I stay there easy and relax. I think it's, uh, it's going to be really late to, to finish uh, the season, this year especially. But uh, we, need, we all need uh, uh, holidays already, I think. Yeah, I'm covering it from Australia, so I've had like, I'm in the middle now of 50 days straight going to bed at 5 a.m. Um, so, yeah, it's been brutal for you guys and it's been, at least it's good. At least there's racing on this year, I guess. I thought there might not have even been any racing on. So, um, but yeah, I'm glad you're doing so well at the Giro. Thanks, Peo, for joining the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast today. Any last words? Yeah, thank you. No, just uh, I would like to just say thanks to, to the team, no? Uh, yes, because they believed in me also uh, coming from the tour and the way they are working until now, it uh, uh, makes me proud no, about uh, our team. So uh, we just will continue working in this way because they really know how, how, to, how to ride and uh, yeah, we will try to go as far as we can. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Peo Bilbao. Cheers, Peo, for joining us and taking the time. Now bringing in our boy, Benji Nice, and bringing him out of work today. How are you going, Benji? How's your week been? It's been a pretty rough week, I think, for both you and me <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah. Hey there. Um, yeah, in general, it's been a, a pretty busy week, but also the fact that DJO is happening, all these races in the meanwhile, and I've got a full-time job as well, so I kind of got to swing it and balance it out as much as possible with prioritizing my work obviously but in the end it's been a, a pleasure and i'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks of cycling again and definitely the next week maybe a bit less than week three because yeah i feel like week three is going to be the most important one in this giro yeah next year obviously lantern rouge cycling podcast going to go to the stratosphere to the moon and yeah we'll be doing this full time but re- just recapping what happened in this first week of the Giro now we've just had stage nine finish yesterday reminder of who's won the various stages and the GC positions stage one the ITT Filippo Ganna won that stage very convincingly from Monreale to Palermo we had Lopez crash and abandon in that first stage so already GC consequences there, as well as Thomas putting time and Yates putting time into the other riders, Fulsang, Nibli, Kreuzweig, who stuffed up their start time, didn't end up being a big deal. Stage two to Agrigento, Diego Ulissi won that stage ahead of Sagan and Mikel Honore, and I think Joao Almeida looked pretty good there. Gana was able to keep the uh, Malia Rosa, though, uh, I think, after that stage. He held on to enough time. 
So Ulysses first stage win three was Etna, and this was a big stage. We had the crash of Grant Thomas in the neutral zone with that bid on. He later abandoned the next day. Sorry, I, I can't remember. I'll just uh, Vlasov abandoned with sickness either on this Etna day or the day before to Agrigento. I have a feeling it was this Etna day. Jonathan Caicedo, duck, duck, quack, quack, won from a breakaway uh, in this stage, the first of the sec, the two education first stage wins in this year's Euro so far in the, in the first week, repping that Palace kit. And Juan Almeida went into the Maglia Rosa on this stage with Gano losing time. Stage four was a bit of a rolly stage, won a sprint to Villa Franca Terena by Arno de Mar. And by the way, Almeida keeps the jersey and he's still wearing it on the rest uh, today on the rest day, so I won't read out him after every stage. But Demar stage four, Filippo Gana stage five from the breakaway on that hilly stage or mountainous stage actually when he dropped to Hentenko. Demar his second stage win, stage six to Matera, stage seven again to Brindisi, a pure flat stage won by Arno Demar, and stage eight. So to Vieste, we just had that, the emotional Alex Dowsett victory from the break with the peloton, the GC guys taking the day off. And then stage nine yesterday to Rocco Rasso, Ruben Guerrero, Portuguese fans of cycling got to be pretty happy with this first week with Guerrero taking out the W yesterday from the break ahead of Jonathan Castroviejo winning the last stage before the rest day and Almeida taking that jersey uh, into the rest day as well. So. Yeah, pretty interesting first week. The big news as well, um, apart from Vlas, uh, apart from Vlasov, Thomas and Lopez abandoning from crashes or sickness, was also Simon Yates, who didn't look good on Etna. He went to, when Yates when Thomas got dropped, Yates went into two dollars right live betting on that sta- at the stage, and then he obviously had co- something had something wrong with him. He was sick, and then he tested positive for COVID, and he's pulled out of the Giro d'Italia. Um, so we're going to wait tomorrow to see the results of the COVID tests as well there. But, yeah, wh- what do you think about this first week, Benji, just your gut reaction to how it played out? Uh, you think it was a hard first week, an exciting one, a success? I mean, yeah, what's your gut reaction to it? I enjoyed it. And when it comes to GC, I feel like the lack of a team that can control races is making sure that mountain stages are not controlled as much, leading to more breakaway opportunities. And it's also trying to show itself in the flatter stage as well with the one that Dowsett won. The fact that a team like Demar on a stage that has a bit too many hills is not going to take control. Bora being salty that nobody else takes control. And Sunweb not really taking control. You've got a situation where the break takes it. And I think we're going to see that more and more in this Giro as well. That the breakaway is going to take a lot of stages. And I think a lot in week three as well with all the mountain stages. Perhaps we'll see one mountain stage where the peloton really decides I'm going to go for it. But I don't think we have a team outside of maybe Sunweb that can control it for quite a long period of time. Trek has done it for half a mountain stage at certain points. But yeah, in the first half, the breakaway takes like 10 minutes. So it's clear that it's so different from the Tour de France where there was a team that controlled every stage that was valuable for them. And here you've got the opposite of it. And it also shows in the last parts of Vietna, which was 1v1 attacks between GC guys because they don't necessarily have climbers that can follow them and help them out in attacking other people. So 
in the tour, you'd have a cuz that is in that front group and you could survive very long. But here, the only situation where that was happening was Jai Hindley on the stage of yesterday at the end. But outside of that, not really the case. And I feel like we're going to see that definitely in week three, where it's going to be 1v1 battles. But perhaps we'll see Super Domestiques come out, the likes of a Sam Ullman for Keldenmon that suddenly becomes more valuable because the terrain suits him more in week three. So yeah, it's definitely not over yet, this Giro. We, it's so close. We've got a rider in first that perhaps was not on anyone's radar to actually win the Giro. I believe that he was meant to be the Super Domestique of Evenepoel. So as a Belgian, I'm obviously wondering, what if Evenepoel was at the start here? And I think he'd definitely be in pink right now. But but perhaps if a Thomas was in this race, then it might not have been the case. But then again, what ifs don't happen? Uh, what ifs don't matter? But it's, as a Belgian myself, fun to think about to what the future holds for a team like De Koenig, who has actually lost their leader for the Giro, but is still in the pink jersey after nine days. So it's cool to see that a new generation is showing up at the top. Same with the Tour, with Pogacar. And also in this Giro now, together with Positive the older guys in the bunch, with a, <laughs> <laughs> the youngster Pozzo Vivo now, <laughs> together with the older guys like Pozzo Vivo and Nibali. So it's a bit of old versus new, and it was also the case in the Tour de France. And I think we're gonna we're gonna see that in the future as well. And yeah, that hypes me up, and I want to see more talent and more talent brew itself out of uh, out of what they are doing now went into being contenders for World Tour races, and I'm liking the, these periods, to be honest. If you want any sort of statistical indication of how different this Giro d'Italia is to the Tour de France and how I, I thought that Etna stage was cracked, I thought it was so good. Um, even though the last two stages on the weekend, not so great, but that Etna stage, whew, that was a proper mountain stage. Uh, if you want an indication of how different it is, going to this rest day, the 15th rider on GC, Lucas Hamilton for Mitchelton Scott, is only 2 minutes and 23 seconds behind. Now, I'm not professional enough to have prepared exactly what the difference was for the 15th rider going into the first rest day of the Tour de France, but I remember us talking about it as being a massive margin. Uh, I feel like it was like 15 minutes. It might have even been like 30 minutes. Um, maybe I'm making that <laughs> up. the 15th place? For <laughs> the 15th place. Yeah, I'll let Benji fact-check me. Uh, bring that up, Jamie. But, yeah, I f it's so close. So let's run through the GC positions right now. Almeida first, Kelderman 30 seconds behind in second, Peo Bilbao, Fabara and McLaren third, 39 seconds behind, Pozzo Vivo 53 seconds behind Almeida in fourth, four seconds ahead of Vincenzo Nibli in fifth, Jakob Fulsang four seconds again in sixth behind Vincenzo Nibli, Arn van Oka, seventh, a minute and two back from Almeida. Patrick Conrad, minute and 11 back. Jai Hindley, ninth. The Sunweb, a minute and 15 back. Micah, another two seconds behind him in 10th. A minute and 17. Kreuzweig, 11th, one minute and 24. And about ooh, 27 seconds behind Vincenzo Nibali and about... 23 seconds behind Jakob Fulsang. 
um, as Dennis Masnada, Pernsteiner, Zakarin, and Hamilton. And even Pedrero in 16th is only 2 minutes and 27 back. So it's really tight up the top. And if you if you maybe assume that in the big, big mountain stages, Almeida is going to fall away, then it's even tighter because there's a the 30-second gap from first to second. So from second to 10th is a 47-second gap with yeah, that's crazy close and all these riders are a similar level really they some of them you know full sang's a little bit better on the punchy finish uh yesterday to uh Roparasso, but then nibley probably a bit better on the longer climbs but no one's really that much better than the other i don't think at least and that's why it's quite an exciting year to tell you have you found benji what the 15th rider's position was on gc and on the first rest day in the tour yeah, it was about three minutes forty-two, but I think the uh, the twentieth position is where the difference mattered, and that's on like fifteen minutes. So, yeah, it was definitely a a much larger difference at a certain point in the classification. So there was a bigger gap between the domestiques and the leaders of the teams. I'd look at it like that. Yeah, and I think a function of why it's so close is because there's been no super team or strong team that's been able to really drive the pace on the clients we have had to drop the riders like a Pedrero by several minutes uh, or even Sergio Samitier uh, for Movistar or maybe Jai Hindley or Perlensteiner, etc. They're like a minute and 15 and a minute and 48 back. There's been no one really driving a train up say an Etna stage, etc. And I'll give you some numbers to back that up. I'm not just making that up. For example, stage nine yesterday in the Giro Peloton once again, pretty much chilling on a with you know, many climbs, you had Lanciano, etc. This is the watts per kilo that Masnada did, and I believe he finished, I think what was it? Behind Behind Kelderman and Fulsang, he was 12 seconds back at the finish. So he was with the GC guys for the whole stage except for the last kick up that pinch. Masnada did 4.3 for 40, 4.2 for 27, 4.4 for 33, 5.3 for 20, and on the extended Rocco Rasso climb, 5.2 for 20 with about 6 to 6.1 watts per kilo for the last four minutes that kick where full sang gained some time with Kelderman and Hindley. So that's not that high. I know it's be- it's obviously better than what I can do, but 4.3 watts per kilo, etc. for 40. When you, you compare that to, say, on the uh, Fromentel stage or the stage eight, the Perasud stage in the Tour de France stage eight where Wafanat was driving it, etc. Yeah, Pogaccia did something like 6. Five twenty-four. I don't know. It might have been a bit less. Me and uh, Camden discussed that on the pod about his power data, but it was it was a lot more than say five point two for twenty, which is what they were finishing this climb with. So different climbs, not as steep. Uh, the drafting benefits clear on these climbs that are like four to five percent, and that's why there's not really been much separation either. And it, that's why it's just a very very different race and somewhat more exciting race, but. Rounding up the jerseys as well, just for completeness, obviously Arno Demar is in the uh, Ciclamino jersey, in the points jersey, 167 points, 57 points ahead of Sagan. Matthews is on 87, about oh, 80 
points behind Arno Damara as well. Youth jersey, Almeida is wearing that a minute and two ahead of Vanoka. And the KOM jersey is held by Ruben Guerrero on 84 points, eight points ahead of Giovanni Visconti. And then Castroviejo is like oh, 39 points behind him on 45. So we got, I think some people criticised us for complaining about, oh, we, we, we didn't think we were complaining about the level of this year being different to the tour. I mean, the numbers are what they are. Does that even affect your enjoyment of the race at all, Benji? Because it, it actually, I find it more entertaining, this race. It doesn't matter what the numbers they are, they're doing. They don't have to be mutant numbers or whatever. I found, still found this year really, really entertaining. Yeah, me as well. And I think there is a bit of a difference between the level, but also the parkour of the first nine days. I have the feeling that the Tour de France had a more interesting parkour for stage eight and stage nine than this Giro. And because of that, I might be less hyped at the moment than I was after stage nine, the one that Pogacar won beating Hirschi. Now, Rocarasso, rather disappointing stage, in my opinion. It's a mountain stage that doesn't really have the climbs where you can make a difference and I prefer ones where you can make a difference. Then again, it's the first week. We know that monster climbs are coming and I don't think it's the fact that, yeah, I don't think that a lower level means that it's a less interesting race for me. I have seen plenty of Conti races that have amazing, amazing racing, but I do feel like this is a certain level, but also I think that the lack of that team that controls everything is opening up so many possibilities for people to make differences, but also for people to make differences while they're not the strongest rider per se. I think that we're going to see occasions where two people are looking at each other. (laughs) I'm afraid that that might be a Nibali or a Fulsang at a certain point. And then a third rider could benefit off of that. We saw that last year with Roglic and Nibali. Everybody was focusing on those two riders. And then one stage, Carapaz took three minutes or two minutes. And the whole Giro was on its head. So I don't think that Nibali is going to make the same mistake as last year in that sense. But it feels like he's already got a rival in this race once again. He does this a lot. He has this a lot. Psychological warfare, it seems like. Astana teaches that to their riders because Fulsang is doing that at Astana right now. Nibali did that at Astana, learned it during that period because I don't think he did it when he was at Liquikas beforehand. But I like that extra drama adding on to it and I think that adds to this race as well. In the tour, we had the whole relationship between Pogacar and Roglic. Is that going to influence anything? Is that going to influence moves that they make? And here we've got a rivalry that is causing the same drama. Is that going to influence a move that someone can make that might work on which it might not have worked if those two riders weren't looking at each other? So I think that adds to the racing and I think that makes this race also very entertaining. And I don't really mind the lower level per se. I feel like I just enjoy the racing aspect. And if they're close to each other, for this portion of the race, I think I'm going to enjoy the third week even more. Yeah, I agree. I found it it's so interesting. I'm a little bit disappointed that Astana don't have Lasov 
Uh, I wanted to see what he was going to be able to do. And I think if they had Vlasov, that would make things very, very concerning for Trek Segafredo because Trek's guys, Brambilla, Ciccone, Conchi, Mosca, and Antonio Nibali, they're not that good a mountain train, if we're honest, uh, probably chasing back really a really strong rider going off, off the front like Vlasov. I don't think any of those guys would be able to make an impression on him on a proper mountain finish, like something like Etna, for example. I actually think Team Sunweb in the mountains are a little bit stronger than Trek, and we saw that, I think, on Stage 9 when Sunweb were prominent and Trek were like, oh, okay, let's back it off a little bit because Sunweb had numbers and Hindley was really strong. Um, but, yeah, it's a, a lot's changed in this first week with Yates being out, Thomas being out, Vlasov being out. That's three of maybe the top five favourites or top six favourites already out and the first two favourites. But... It is interesting to see that Fulsang Nibali rivalry. I think Fulsang is probably a stronger all round rider than Nibali, but then if the third week goes ahead, which it is looking like it should be able to do as planned, the Stelvio weather forecast is pretty good at the moment. That's going to be really suiting uh, Vincenzo Nibali, to be honest. But going into the next few stages, do you think, Benji, that Almeida, like how long can he keep this? Uh, Malia Rosa for we've got a fairly easy stage tomorrow GC wise uh, from Lanciano to Tortoretto it's got a few rollers in it I don't really see him losing the jersey there uh, I think he'd almost be a contender for the stage win there to be honest then you've got a well, another pretty easy stage to Rimini as well you've got stage 12 to Cessinatico, which is, again, it's not that hard either, and I don't see him losing it there. So I don't really know when uh, Almeida is going to lose this Malia Rosa. I don't think he will unless he really has a bad time trial, but he was the strongest of the remaining GC contenders, which he is a genuine GC contender in the time trials. So I think Almeida is going to keep the Malia Rosa until the last day before the second rest day to Piancavallo, which is probably the biggest time, the, the next big stage for GC, after the except for the individual time trial the day before. The stages ooh, 10, 11, 12, 13, I don't really see too much GC movement unless Fulsang can maybe attack on one of them on the more Liege-style climbs. But, yeah, stage 15 is definitely one to mark down in your notebook for one to watch. We've got cap 2, 10Ks at 5.6%, cap 2, 7.5Ks at 8%, then we've got 9Ks at 5%, and then finishing to Piancavallo, 15Ks or so at about 8%, cap 1, which is the highest categorization in the Giro. I think Pantani won on this uh, mountaintop finish in 1998 when he won the Giro at he won a stage here. My memory serves me correctly when I was five years old. I still remember. Um, but yeah, do you see this next these next five days being different, Benji? Do you see Almeida losing that jersey before fifteen, or do you see him keeping it after fifteen? I think stage twelve can be very interesting, but it will be interesting if the GC riders use it because I feel like that stage would be amazing as a final stage in Paris. It looks like that, like the final stage in Paris. Because they got plenty of smaller hills, smaller climbs, I would say, not really hills. It's higher than just the hill. But 
I think that if you've got a 1v1 situation where GC riders are fighting each other and there's no real trains to control anything, then this could be madness. But I don't think anybody will have the guts to do that in week two, knowing what comes in week three. So no one will play all out on these kind of stages. So I believe that unless Almeida has a collapse on this stage, because it's probably the hardest stage in week two, except for like the Saturday stage to Piancavello. Now, outside of this, I do want to focus on the time trial as well. We've seen Almeida do well in the first time trial. We've somewhat confirmed that his performance was also helped quite a lot by the weather forecast at that point and by the wind changes throughout the time trial. But obviously he did do a good time trial. I'm very much interested to see if he can keep that up in this time trial or whether we'll see a different overview of time trialists in that GC because we've got a a time trial stage of 34.1 kilometers. Differences will be made on it. I think that the GC riders that are going for this are relatively close in their time trial abilities, except for maybe Pozzo, who's not overly amazing at it. But I think the likes of a Bilbao could do a really good time trial here as well. And yeah, Eo Bilbao has that time trial skill. He might move up in GC and might even come up in the top three once again after dropping out of it, I think. On uh, yesterday's stage, he lost the same amount of time as Nibali, if I recall correctly. But regarding the time trial, I think we'll see a bit of a different overview of who's the better TTer among the GC riders. And perhaps Almeida is a bit close to the GC riders than we are actually expecting because of a twisted view from the initial prologue. So I'm very curious. I was surprised by the GC results after the initial prologue. I feel like the overall consistency over the years of the riders that are going for GC was very different in my mind than was done on that time trial. For me, Kreiswijk was one of the better IT tiers together with Kaldemon and Nibali. Kaldemon probably being well, the best of the three or Kreiswijk. It's it's very close. Nibali has done a um, usually a top four, top five in TTs that he does in Grand Tours where he does good in. So he's also pretty good at them, but he's not top level there so yeah i'm i'm very curious how that tt is going to come out but yeah i think if almeida still has the jersey after the time trial which should benefit him more than indeed piancavallo is going to be the most interesting part we had youngsters up there in gc mcnulty at the start as well from the time trial that he was better than the other late starters and he dropped on the climbing stages a bit Almeida has done very similarly in that. I'm not sure if Piancavallo is going to be too dangerous for him. But I think he's going to lose time there. But then again, is he going to lose enough to lose, I don't know, 40 seconds to a rider that takes it over? Or is Kelderman going to be the rider that really smashes on that climb and takes the 30 seconds on Almeida? It's all an interesting fight. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm curious how far Almeida can get it and perhaps he survives Piancavallo and becomes more of a, a contender there. But I think that might be the last day for Almeida in that pink jersey. But you never know, to be honest. You never know. And after Piancavallo on that Sunday, we've got a somewhat flatter hill stage again. So it looks like the second week has one major mountain stage, Piancavallo with Mainly going to be a focus on the last climb. I don't think anybody's going to care about the climbs before that, except for breakaway riders. So 
most likely a stage like that will also go to the break because nobody will control the valleys in the peloton to my expectance at least so yeah i, th- I think we're gonna see plenty of breakaway victories to be honest this week and it could be riders that we don't necessarily expect too much i think pooch is gonna try again he's been trying so much lately and it hasn't worked matt holmes as well i think those two riders are clearly trying to win something and if they can keep up doing what they're doing, then they might have an opportunity for it in one of the upcoming stages. I just hope that it doesn't become a, a boring stage if the break goes and then takes 10 minutes and then it's just staring at the screen until the last 10 kilometers with one hill in it or a flat finish. So I don't know. I just hope that there's some action in the breakaways and in the peloton and all these stages as well, because there's a lot of stages with like hills with 20k to go. A bit far for our GC riders to do something, to be honest. So, yeah, I don't know. And finally, also, the fact that Demar, he's going to try and win some more stages. There are some stages that fit him. There are some stages that don't fit him. I think stage 11 fits him. I think stage... Wait a second. Is that 11? Yeah, stage Was stage, was stage 10, was stage stage 10 the 10 one I said he could win? Yeah, I think that, that's stage Jesus, 10. Jesus, what was I thinking? <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting those. Um, I don't know what I asked actually. <laughs> oh no! I didn't. <laughs> now nah, this profile, they must have changed the route. There's no way I would have said it if I'd seen this profile. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I think I this don't know. week. Yeah, I think this week suits Full Sang a lot more than Nibali. I think Full Sang's a marginally better time trials than Nibali, particularly with the time trial coming up. Um, based on what Full Sang, based on what Full Sang did earlier this year at Andalusia, and I think Full Sang has to be aggressive this week because third week is not going to suit him. Does he? Yeah, I think he's going to have to try and gain a little bit of time on Nibali here. He's got a few. Stages that, as Benji said, replicate maybe a final stage in Paris-Nice. We've got stage 10 tomorrow that's got a collection of about five pretty difficult Liège-style climbs, 2Ks, 7.5%, 2Ks, 8%, 3Ks, 8.6%, 1K, 9.1%. It's a little bit far from the finish and it's not that long a stage, so he's probably going to be thwarted if he attacks by perhaps UAE pacing for Diego Ulissi or Sunweb for Michael Matthews, but I think he should try and put Nibali under pressure on these climbs because if, if, if he feels good, because he's not got Vlasov in the big mountains coming up, he's not got Lopez, he's going to have no one to help him, and yeah, Nibali's going to try and put him under pressure in the, on the big mountain endurance stages. Uh, Rimini is not going to be able to do anything on stage 11, and Maybe he should try something on, on stage 12. But again, unfortunately on stage 12, they've put the easiest climb of the day as the last one, and it's about third, 25 kilometres the summit from the finish, rather than if they'd done the Barbotto climb, 4.5Ks at 8.1%. If that was the last climb and it was 15Ks to the finish, maybe we would have seen something. But, yeah, that bodes more like a breakaway stage. To be honest, although I'm going to go back and look at that Andalusia stage where Haig, Blanda, McNulty and Fulsang were in a break and just try and remind myself of what sort of profile that was like and and how that played out. That that could be one. Um, I'll just check quickly what the 
what that stage looked like. I think that was stage, oof, I think stage five or no, stage, I'll, I'll have to look it up. Um, but yeah, not good at doing that sort of thing on the fly. Still going to be an interesting second week. I think Almeida is going to extend his lead in the ITT on GC to the other guys, and it's going to be a really interesting battle to see him hold it on on the Piancavallo stage. I think Damar is going to take another stage win, and I'm worried about my me having to give Benji, Benji some kudos uh, for tomorrow. But, yeah, who do you think is going to be wearing pink when we speak again for the next rest day, Benji? That's probably the last question I'll ask you. Oh, I think that I'm going to say Kelderman, who's going to be wearing pink after Piancavallo. And I think that the third week will be the week of the shark. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I hope that Kreisweg grows a bit in the race so he can be contender too. That always adds to the action. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, week two, but mainly to week three, as I've been saying multiple times already. I think that's where the real battles will be fought. And... I think we've got a bit of an update on the route. I think that it was clear that Yellow was going to be taken out of stage 20. I'm not sure if it's confirmed, so bear with me here. But I think it's um, semi-confirmed already that Yellow's out of stage 20, that they're going to replace it somehow in the parkour doing Colle del Finestre before we go to Sestriere. I don't know if the other two climbs that were after Yellow stay in the race. I hope they do, that adds extra to the race, and perhaps it's before Finestre, because Finestre is supposed to be just before Sestriere, so I don't know the details of it. I know that they've got a plan B for that. Stelvio weather is looking pretty fine, according to La Flamme Rouge, which is a Twitter account we basically use to follow the forecast on the Stelvio, and yeah, it's looking like it's going to be a good third week. Let's hope the weather doesn't ruin it, and let's hope we can see most of the major climbs we were hoping for. Yeah, and let's hope we have no mass positive COVID tests tomorrow during the rest day. I've got my fingers crossed. I'm a little bit more concerned about it than during the Tour de France because obviously we've already had a positive COVID test of Yates who was looking sick and a bit off colour based on his performance alone from stage three and then it was a few days later that he pulled out after testing positive and developing a bit of a mild temperature afterwards. So... I'm a little bit concerned about that. Hopefully it's all okay tomorrow and the race can continue. I think my pick is going to be wearing the Malia Rosa after stage 15, Jakob Fulsang, uh, because I think he's going to do a good ITT and I think he's way stronger than your boy Nibali. And if they're going to have beef, we can have some beef, Benji, and given that I'm probably going to lose that bet tomorrow. So hope you guys have all enjoyed the... Giro podcast so far. Thanks for Cole for partnering with us for the Giro podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Peo Bilbao. Give it a comment down below on the YouTube video for who you'd like us to interview for the second rest day podcast. And if you've enjoyed them so far as well, make sure to give us a review or a rating on the podcast player, the Apple podcast player, I'm pretty sure is the best one, and or share it with one of your friends and say, hey, if you want to catch up on the Giro and you've missed the first week, check out the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for their rest day recap. We've really enjoyed doing it so far. It's a good bit of routine for me at two in the morning. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening as always. Ciao.